Well, would you turn with me this evening to the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 7. Gospel according to Matthew in chapter 7, and we'll read verses 15 to 20. Matthew 7 and verse 15 Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And so on. And so we're continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount, and as you can see, Our study of this challenging sermon is drawing to its conclusion. In the Sermon on the Mount, we've, we've heard a lot from Jesus, and we've been taught a lot from Jesus, and we've been challenged a lot by Jesus in the area of our Christianity. And Jesus has called into question every part of our Christian lives. Because in this sermon, Jesus has urged us to take our call to live Christ centered lives. He's called us to take it seriously. Because that's the whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the whole purpose of of Jesus' Sermon. It's all about Christ-centered living for Christ-centered lives. But as we saw last week in the second half of this chapter, Jesus begins to bring his Sermon now to this conclusion. And he does so by building upon and drawing from everything that he has taught already. Jesus, he highlights all that he's brought to our attention throughout this sermon, and he brings it to this challenging conclusion by applying the entire sermon to our lives. Because Jesus says at the beginning of verse 12, just like we saw last week, he says, so or therefore. And although it's a conjunction which Jesus has repeatedly used throughout the sermon, by this point in the sermon, Jesus He's drawing attention to everything that's gone behind and now he's, he's bringing us to this point and he's saying, you should know how to live the Christian life by now. You should know how to live your, your Christian life. And it's as if Jesus is saying, he expects us to know how to live Christ-centered lives. Uh, but in this conclusion, Jesus is going to apply all his teaching to us and he's going to re-emphasize the importance of living out our Christian life in this world as those who are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And as I said last week, we're going to look at this over three weeks. So next week, God willing, will be the last week. But uh, last week we were actually looking at the golden rule and the golden road. And in the golden rule and the golden road, uh, we saw that Jesus issued us warnings. And he he issued us warnings where he was saying that we were to take heed lest we fall. Because by presenting to us the golden rule of Christianity, Jesus was 
seeking to remind us that the sum and substance of the teaching of Scripture and the way to live a Christ-centered life is to always treat others the way we would like ourselves to be treated. Treat others the way you would like yourself to be treated. That's what Jesus was teaching in the Golden Rule. The Christ-centered life, he says, adheres to this Golden Rule. Those who love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and our neighbour as ourself. That's the Golden Rule that Jesus uh, based his teaching on. And Jesus says, this is the Law and the Prophets. This is the teaching of Scripture. Therefore you should follow it. But in addition to the golden rule, we saw last week that Jesus presents us with the golden road. And he did so by urging us to consider our ways. Consider your ways, he says, by examining your own heart and asking yourself, which road are you on? And Jesus says that we can only be on one of two ways, the broad way or the narrow way. And that way it leads to one of two gates. It leads to the broad gate or to the narrow gate. But each gate, it leads to two ends. It leads to destruction or to eternal life. And of course, the golden road is the way of eternal life. It's the way of blessing, the way of, the way of privilege. And Jesus emphasized that we ought to seek the narrow way and travel towards the narrow gate. Because if we don't hate, take heed and seek the narrow way, we will make shipwreck of our Christianity. And Jesus was quite stark in what he was saying. Enter by the narrow gate. But as we come to this section this evening, Jesus is going to issue yet another warning. He's going to issue another warning to us so that we will take heed lest we fall. But what I'd like us to see this evening is that when Jesus issues this warning about false prophets, he flags up for us the ruin and the remedy. Because Jesus tells us how false prophets seek to cause ruin. And they do it, he says, by disguise. That's the first D. By disguise. But Jesus also tells us that the remedy for false prophets, he tells us that they can be, he tells us how they can be distinguished. That's the second D. Distinguished from true prophets. So Jesus he teaches us, and when he warns us about false prophets, he tells us that they are disguised, but they can be distinguished. They are disguised, but they can be distinguished. And Jesus tells us how. So we look firstly at the fact that false prophets are disguised. He says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In the last section, you'll notice in verse 13, Jesus issued the command, enter by the narrow gate. But as Jesus begins speaking about the dangers of listening to heresy, he issues another command, beware of false prophets. And what we ought to see is that both these commands which Jesus issues, enter by the narrow gate and beware of false prophets, both these commands, they're linked because the only way to enter into the narrow gate is to be aware and to avoid the teaching of false prophets. Now as you know, a false prophet or a prophet uh, was someone who spoke on behalf of God. Uh, they would be God's spokesman. A prophet was 
God's spokesman and, and someone who held the office of a prophet was uh, given this offered office which was twofold. Because the primary role of a prophet was not only to foretell what would happen in the future, uh, the role of a prophet was also to address the present generation that they found themselves in. And the prophet was to proclaim God's truth and herald God's covenant and challenge any who worshipped false gods or bowed down to idols. And a prophet was to call the Lord's people to realise the error of their ways and to call them to repent and turn to the Lord. And as you know, the phrase which defined a prophet, it was the well-known phrase, thus saith the Lord. And that phrase was always uh, the trademark of a prophet, where before they would speak on behalf of the Lord and before they would the utter God's revelation, they would begin by stating those authoritative words, Thus saith the Lord. And when Jesus speaks of false prophets here, I don't know if he had a particular group in mind, but it's more likely that it's this, he's making this general statement that would cover anyone and everyone who falsely claims to speak on behalf of, of the Lord. And so Jesus is highlighting those who claim that their words were of divine inspiration and words which carried divine authority. And Jesus describes these false prophets where he says to us that these false prophets, they will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are like ravenous wolves. And Jesus is warning us that false prophets will come to us disguised. Because they will be like sheep. And as we all know, sheep are probably the most harmless of all animals. And Jesus is saying that when false prophets come, they will be disguised and they will appear harmless. They'll look like every other prophet and like every other preacher, and like every other teacher of God's word. They will appear harmless, and their message will somehow seem harmless. And they'll talk with such eloquence and convincing words that everything they say makes so much sense. And the more they talk and slowly break down any barriers, they begin to question the inspiration and the authority of Scripture. And Jesus says, they come to you, like harmless little sheep. But inwardly, inwardly they are like ravenous wolves. They're hungry, they're dangerous, and they're not to be trusted. And you know, my friend, every false prophet, every false prophet in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and even present today, every false prophet takes their disguise and their lead from the first false prophet. Because the first false prophet, he appeared on the stage of human history at the very beginning. And he appeared before our first parents, Adam and Eve. And when this first false prophet appeared, he appeared as a serpent in the Garden of Eden. And before the fall, serpents were harmless. Before the fall, serpents didn't bite. But this serpent disguised his venom and he hid his attack from the eyes of Adam and Eve. But inwardly, 
Inwardly, the intent of Satan was destruction. Inwardly, the desire of Satan was the fall of mankind. Inwardly, Satan wanted Adam and Eve to take the bait. And he appeared as harmless before them. But as we know, when Satan spoke to Adam and Eve, he he spoke gently to them. He spoke with intelligence and with eloquence. And as he did, he, he questioned the inspiration and the authority of God's word. Because Satan said to Eve... Did God really say? Did God really say that you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And as the false prophet took hold of Eve, she responded by saying, Well, God commanded them, commanded us not to eat the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. And he said, You shall not eat of it lest you die. And then the cunning and crafty serpent, he questioned the judgment of God. And he said, you shall not surely die. Because God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And what we see with the first false prophet is that he not only questioned the authority and the judgment of God, but he blatantly lied to Adam and Eve. And as a ravenous wolf, Satan lured his prey in by speaking gently to them. And soothing their conscience by, by questioning the authority of God's word and the reality of God's judgment. And he softened the outcome of their disobedience with lies. And you know there are many false prophets and many false religions today that take their lead from Satan. Because they seek to soothe the conscience of man. By denying the inspiration and the authority of scripture. And they question the truth. And they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They ignore the reality of God's judgment. By, you could say, softening the blow. Either by watering down the message or ignoring it altogether. And you and I both know that that's a dangerous thing to do. It's a dangerous thing to minimize the importance of God's word and God's message. And Jesus warns us here that false prophets may seem harmless, but their intention is for destruction. And the Apostle Paul, he also spoke about false prophets when he was writing to the the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth, they were awash with false prophets and they were contradicting everything that Paul had taught them. Everything contradicting the word of God. And like we've just considered, Paul stressed that the false teachers, they have taken their example from Satan. Because Paul said that there are false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workers who disguise themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, says Paul, for Satan himself appears as an angel of light. But what's so frightening about Satan and all his followers is that their deception and their disguise is so convincing that if we aren't being watchful, it's easy for us to be drawn in. And Jesus emphasized that when we were reading in Matthew 24. When the disciples came to Jesus and they asked the question, What shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? 
And Jesus answered and sent to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and of rumours of wars. And Jesus says, See that you're not troubled by these. For all these things they must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And you can think about our own situation today, the present situation. Jesus says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, they will betray one another, and they will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, he says. But, says Jesus, he who endures to the end shall be saved. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they will deceive the very elect. And it's no wonder Jesus went on to say in Matthew 24, Watch therefore. For you do not know at what hour your Lord is coming. Watch therefore. And Jesus is clear. We need to be watchful. We need to beware of false prophets. We need to take this warning seriously so that we aren't deceived by their disguise and drawn in and drawn away from the truth. But in order that we aren't deceived by the disguise of the false prophets, Jesus tells us how to discern between true and false prophets. And so in this warning about false prophets, Jesus has highlighted that they are disguised. They are in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. But secondly, Jesus advises how to distinguish. How to distinguish between true and false (laughs) prophets. And he says in verse 16, this is how you'll distinguish them. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And what Jesus instructs us here is that the only way to distinguish between a true and a false prophet is by their fruit. And Jesus emphasizes this by repeating the phrase, this phrase in verses 16 and 20. Because he says, you shall know them by, your fru- by their fruits in verse 16. And then in verse 20 he says, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And so the fruit which the prophets produce it will be the deciding factor to distinguish them between being true or false prophets. And what's interesting is that it's not the outward appearance of the false prophet that will deceive them. Their disguise of being wolves in sheep's clothing, that won't be their downfall. No, what will betray the false prophets in the end will be their fruit. And Jesus seeks to make this distinction Uh, by way of an illustrative question in verse 16, where he asks, Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? 
or figs from thistles. And Jesus proceeds to explain his question by saying, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. It seems straightforward. And in this Jesus, he's stressing the the impossibility of retrieving the good and useful produce of grapes and figs from thorns and thistles. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. But again, what's interesting with Jesus' illustrative question is his choice of words. Because in order to describe false teachers, Jesus uses the words thorns and thistles as the example. And of course, thorns and thistles were the fruit of fallen mankind. Because when the first false prophet, Satan, when he succeeded in deceiving Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the fruit of their sin was thorns and thistles. And here is Jesus, and he, he's warning that every false prophet is from Satan. And the fruit which they will always bear will be the fruit of thorns and thistles. It'll be the fruit of disguise and deception. It'll be the fruit of corruption and error. And Jesus is saying, beware. Beware of false prophets because you'll know them by their fruit. You'll be able to discern them by measuring what they say against the word of God. You'll know them by their fruit. you'll, You'll know who they are and what they're like by their fruit. Because that's how they discerned between a true and false prophet in the Old Testament. Because as we said earlier, the phrase which defined a prophet was the well-known phrase, Thus saith the Lord. And it was always the trademark of any prophet, whether they were true, a true prophet or a false prophet. They would always, before they would speak on behalf of the Lord, they would always utter the words, thus saith the Lord. They would state that their words are of divine inspiration and divine authority by saying, thus saith the Lord. And by using the trademark phrase, this would deceive people into thinking that false, the false prophet was actually a true prophet of the Lord. But like Jesus says, it was their fruit which distinguished them. And just to draw your attention to to one particular Old Testament case. Uh, Because in Jeremiah 28, you can read it for yourself when you go home. In Jeremiah 28, we read of a man called Hananiah. And he was a false prophet. And he was a false prophet because Hananiah prophesied to the children of Israel when they were in exile in Babylon. He told them, By using the trademark phrase for divine inspiration and authority, he said to them, Thus saith the Lord. And then Hananiah told the children of Israel that after only two years in exile, they would return to the land of Israel. But when Jeremiah, the true prophet of the Lord, when he stood up and contested 
Hananiah's prophecy, he did so by emphasizing that all the other prophets before Jeremiah, you have Isaiah and Hosea, they had all told the people of Israel that they would be in exile in Babylon for 70 years. Not two years, but 70 years. And through the repeated prophecy of all these true prophets, they were all prophesying the same message. Jeremiah then proved that Hananiah was in fact a false prophet. And through that the Lord judged him. But the disguise of thus saith the Lord, it stood. It stood because no one suspected anything when Hananiah stood up and said, thus saith the Lord. No one could tell the difference between Jeremiah and Hananiah. He sounded like all the other prophets before him as well. He sounded just like Jeremiah. And he used the same language as all the other prophets. Thus saith the Lord. But what gave Hananiah away as a false prophet was that his message was completely different. His message was completely different because Hananiah had come before the children of Israel claiming that he was God's messenger and claiming that his message was of divine inspiration and authority. But when he moved away from the truth and changed God's message, he was immediately distinguished as this false prophet. He was distinguished by the fruit of his thorns and thistles. Because like Satan, he contradicted God's authoritative word. And like Satan, he undermined God's judgment. And so my friend, what Jesus wants to warn us and make us aware of about false prophets is that the only way to distinguish them really between a a true and a false prophet the only way to distinguish them is by measuring everything they say against the word of God everything they say must be measured against the word of God and of course we don't have to distinguish between a true and false prophet by the revelation of just true prophets like Jeremiah did Because there are no more prophecies. All prophecies have ceased. And there are no more prophets. No more revelations. There are none because we have been given the full and final revelation of Jesus, our prophet. And we have it in his word. His word that is written. A word that has divine inspiration It is God-breathed and a word which carries divine authority. Because upon every page of this book, Jesus is saying to us, Thus saith the Lord. My friend, the Bible is our sole authority. Because scripture alone sets the standard. Scripture alone has the authority. Not the ideas of men, not the traditions of the church, not the elders, nor the minister, but scripture alone. Scripture alone. Everything we do as a church and everything we do as individuals, it must be subject to the authority of scripture. That's why we refer to the Bible as the canon of scripture. Because the word canon, it's the Greek word for a reed. And the reed was A measuring line. It was used to measure things. And this canon of scripture that we have before us, it's used to measure everything. Where we're to measure everything we do 
and everything we hear, we're to measure it against, against the Word of God. Because the Word of God, as we've been taught in the Catechism, it's the only rule to direct us on how we may glorify God and enjoy Him forever. There is nowhere else to go. This is our benchmark. This is our standard. This is our, our measuring line. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. And do you remember what when Paul and Silas, that's in Acts 17 I think, when they went to Berea, when Paul and Silas went to Berea, and when they went to the people of Berea, they preached the word to them. And it says that the people of Berea, they received the word with readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily to see if the things Paul had been preaching was actually true. Everything the Bereans heard, they measured it against the canon of scripture. They measured it. They used their measuring line to measure it against everything Paul was saying. And it didn't matter that the message came from the Apostle Paul. As great and as wonderful a preacher he was, he wasn't the authority for them. Scripture alone was the authority. Unlike the Bereans, we need to search the Scriptures daily and ensure that this book is the standard of all our authority because everything we hear were to measure it against God's word. Don't believe everything I have to say. Or what any other minister says. Regardless of how famous or how, how popular they are as a preacher. Don't believe it and don't follow it because it sounds good. Only believe it. And only follow their teaching. If the word of God affirms it. If the word of God backs it up. Because everything we hear and everything we read, we're to measure it against God's word. This book is to be the judge of all our opinions and all our experience and all our doctrine. Because all our opinions, they must conform to this book. All of our experience, it must conform to this book. All of our doctrines must conform to this book. The way we govern our church must be conformed to this book. The way we worship must be conformed to this book. Even the way we live our lives, it must all conform to this book. Because this is our standard. This is our final authority. The authority of Scripture. Scripture alone. And so Jesus is saying to us, beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets. And the only way to distinguish between true and false prophets is to know and to love the inspired and authoritative message of our great prophet, Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is saying is that the only way to be able to distinguish between truth and error is know your Bible. That's all he's saying. Know your Bible. The only way to recognize accuracy from heresy is to study the Word of God. The only way to beware of, of false prophets and false teachers is to search the Scriptures. And it's good to know about Aaron's doctrines and where they originated. We're taught a lot about that in college. 
about all the, the errors that came through the church and through church history. It's good to know about them. But it's even better for us to be saturated in the truth. You know, I remember being told that that's how bankers are trained. I don't know if you, any of you were trained as a banker. But I was told that they're trained only using real money. They're trained using a genuine currency. And by spending all their time working with real money and genuine banknotes, bankers are then able to straight away point out counterfeit money. And you know, that's what Jesus is urging us here. Where he's saying we ought to spend our time familiarizing ourselves and getting to know this precious book that he has given to us. We ought to spend our time reading and meditating and studying the Word of God. And I know it's not easy in a busy life. I know it's not easy to find time, but to try and take time to get to know the God of the Bible. So that when we encounter error or heresy or a false prophet, we'll be able to distinguish it straight away. It was J.C. Ryle who said in his commentary, I think I'm falling in love with J.C. Ryle the more and more I read him, because he's always got all these little great wee nuggets of gold in his commentaries. But he says the best, what he says about this section, he says the best safeguard against false teaching is the regular study of the Word of God with prayer for teaching by the Holy Spirit. But, says Ryle, it is neglect of the Bible which makes so many a prey to the first false teacher whom they hear. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve. They neglected the word of God and they fell prey to Satan. But, says Ryle, the reason many neglect the Bible is that they are lazy and idle and they do not take the trouble of thinking for themselves. And that's what Jesus is stressing to us as he concludes his Sermon on the Mount. He's stressing to us, we need to know our Bible. You need to know the Word of God. You need to familiarize yourself with the pages of Scripture. You need to get to know the Jesus in this Bible and the truth of this Bible in order to stand up against false prophets. Because throughout the sermon, Jesus has told us, he's told us, how to live a Christ-centered life. He's told us from the very beginning how to live a Christ-centered life and that we're to measure everything against God's Word. And if we know how to live Christ-centered lives, as Jesus has taught us, then anyone who teaches us contrary to the teaching of Jesus, we should be able to distinguish false prophets right away. We shall know them by their fruit. The fruit of thorns and thistles. And so in this conclusion, Jesus is warning us about false prophets. But in this warning, Jesus tells us how a false prophet is disguised. And he tells us how a false prophet is distinguished. But I just want to close again with the words of Mr. Ryle, Bishop Ryle. Because he says about this warning, just as he concludes, he says, May we all bear in mind our Lord's warning. The world, the flesh and the devil 
are not the only dangers in the way of the Christian. There remains yet another, and that is the false prophet, the wolf in sheep's clothing. But, says Ryan, happy is he who prays over his Bible and knows the difference between truth and error in religion. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, grant to us a discerning heart to know, Lord, that to hear thy voice and to know that thy voice is the voice of truth. We know that thou art one who reminds us in thy word that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Lord, help us, we pray thee, to hear the voice of Jesus, to realise that thy word is truth, that we might be sanctified through it, made more holy and more like Jesus every day. O Lord, help us, we plead, for we know that there are many temptations, there are many voices calling out for our soul, there are many deceivers out there trying to win us and to make them follow after the gods of Baal. But help us, Lord, we pray thee, Oh, to confess Jesus, to love him more every day, to worship him each and every moment, to live with him, to walk with him, to love him as our Saviour and our Lord. Oh, bless us, Lord, we pray thee, that thou wouldst keep us. Bless our homes and our families. Remember each and every situation that we find ourselves in. Help us, Lord, to cast all our cares upon thee, for thou art one who does care for us. That is thy promise. And that is in thy word. Lord, do us good then, we pray. Build us up and cleanse us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I shall conclude by singing in, again in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. That's on page 408. Uh, singing from verse 103 to verse 106. Psalm 119 from verse 103. How sweet unto my taste, O Lord, are all thy words of truth. Yea, I do find them sweeter far than honey to my mouth. I through thy precepts that are pure do understanding get. I therefore every way that's false with all my heart do hate. Thy word is to my feet a lamp and to my path a light. I sworn have and I will perform to keep thy judgments right. These verses of Psalm 119 to God's praise.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.